Hi there, this is Steve, but this isn't the beginning of the show. Before we begin, I invite you to check out my free masterclass called The Surprising Path to Excellence. If you're an entrepreneur, business owner, or leader with financial responsibility in your company, you'll definitely not want to miss this one. I'll cover how a winning strategy combined with operational excellence drives higher cash flow and firm value. You can watch it for free at cultbar.com. I'll also link it in the show notes below. I hope you enjoy it. You're listening to the Strategic Financial Leadership Podcast, a podcast for entrepreneurs, business leaders, and professionals who want to elevate their game and reach new levels of abundance and success. I'm Steve Coffrin, the founder of Coltvar, and I've spent my entire career growing and turning around companies, and together we'll explore the latest happenings in the world of strategy and finance. Let's do this. Before we begin, just remember that this podcast is for educational purposes and the information shared herein should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Check out our terms and conditions in the show notes to learn more. Now on to the show. Let's jump in and learn more about Max and his journey and how he continues to help individuals navigate the cryptocurrency and digital asset space. So let me ask you this, Max, you started your education by getting a law degree. Is law something that you wanted to pursue from the start? I would say that legal space was always the industry I wanted to be part of. I received my law degree in Russia, and it was actually a very valuable experience. So I graduated from the law school and started working as a banking lawyer. And I worked over 10 years at the General Council for International Banks in Moscow, Russia. I worked for large European banks, such as Societe Generale. This experience was very valuable because I have very clear and deep understanding of how the banking industry works and what actually are drawbacks and inefficiencies in this uh, industry as well. Interesting. So what was it like growing up in Russia when you were a child? Was it a good experience living there? Did it, what did it teach you living in this different country? Yeah, I, it was a very specific experience. I lived with my family in the middle part of Russia. Uh, it's close to Ural Mountains uh, in the city called Ufa. Uh, it's two hours flight from Moscow. Uh, it's a pretty large city of over one million population. I wouldn't say that I had any difficulties or issues while living in Russia. They provided pretty much uh, solid education and legal knowledge based on the Russian uh, legal system, of course. What's interesting that in Russia, there are basically two major cities, Moscow and St. Petersburg. Moscow is considered as a financial center of Russia. St. Petersburg is more like a cultural capital of the country. Pretty much all capable graduates and people who want to build a career, especially in the finance industry, are trying to move to Moscow because there are more opportunities there. That was actually my case. I moved to Moscow back in 2003. was lucky enough to secure a legal counsel position in one of the Moscow banks. I moved further on my career ladder. Uh, for me, it was very interesting experience because I was lucky enough to work for different banks in Moscow. Many of them were international banks, such as Societe General Group. For the last seven years of my career in Moscow, I worked as general counsel, managed legal teams of up to 20 lawyers. I believe I built a pretty much successful career in Moscow as a banking lawyer before I moved to the U.S. Is this something that your parents encouraged you to do? Were they into law and finance? Or how did you, you know, decide to pursue this area? 
What's interesting that uh, initially I had two options. I mean, that I was thinking about that after graduating from the in Russia, there are not colleges, there are high schools only. And students study for 10 years in the high school. And after that, they go to the university. And usually uh, they go to the university when they are 16 or 17 years old. So I had two options, actually. My basic English was pretty much good when I started at high school. And I was thinking about pursuing some career in the linguistic space. And there was an opportunity to study English in depth. Another option was to pursue legal career. But for me, legal career was more attractive. Another thing that I definitely had choice because there were many ways to move forward and to to receive any education I would be interested in. But our legal industry was actually the one that I was more interested in. And uh, that, that was, I would say, easy choice for me. So what ended up bringing you to the United States? You're now in Washington, D.C. What brought you out here and, and how's that transition been? When I worked in the banking industry, I was always interested in uh, in business processes. I felt that I had a lack of knowledge of how financial decisions are made, how people are in business department make decisions regarding marketing or developing new financial products and services. As a general counsel, I often interacted with them and was a member of the different committees in banks where I worked. That actually triggered my interest to pursue our business education Another thing that also important for me that my wife, she actually received her law degree from the same law school in Russia. We studied in the same law school, but she moved to the United States 15 years ago. We met each other again in Moscow. We were just friends. We met each other in Moscow. It, it was 2015. And a year later, we married. And that was uh, pretty much <laughs> unexpected but life-changing decision for me. Right. She, so she lived in the United States. She's a lawyer. She, she, she has her bar exam in uh, Washington, D.C. and in New York. She, she worked in the comp- compliance space. And currently, she's a consultant for World Bank. It was quite challenging for me to have lots of trips to the United States, back to Moscow. And at some point, uh, it became obvious that I need to move to the United States, the United States permanently. Obviously, it would be difficult for me to build the career in the United States having only a Russian law degree. I was thinking about continuing my legal education here in the United States. But at the same time, as I said, the business area, finance, that was the industry I was always interested in. And again, it was, it was not a difficult decision for me. Just I realized that business education was what I was actually looking for. And then I started looking for the business schools that could provide the most valuable education. That's how I ended up studying at Duke. I'm really happy that I was enrolled in, in the Duke MBA program and because the knowledge that I received there uh, helps me a lot now. Yeah. And, and that's where we spend our time together. And that's where I first met you. And, you know, I, I knew that you always had this interest in finance. And as, uh, as time has gone on, you know, it's evolved into this interest in digital assets and blockchain and in cryptocurrencies. So how did you get into this area of finance? And what are you most passionate about in this space? Uh, it, it was not a quick transition because 
just for like newcomers, like people who just trying to figure out what blockchain industry is, I would say that it could take like several months just to get understanding of how it works. So when I graduated from Duke, I made a transition from legal to finance space. I moved to Washington, D.C. and established my own company, Digital Finance. It was August 2016. Initially, I registered my company as an investment advisor. I took an investment course at Duke and was really fascinated and interested in how investment industry works, learned more about investment strategies and different asset classes. And uh, initially, the focus of my investment advisory firm was alternative asset classes. I was always interested not in traditional markets like stock and bonds, but on alternative asset classes such as hedge funds, private equity, venture capital. At the same time, it was a startup company. So I registered this company on my own. I didn't hire any uh, legal consultants to do that. And I started approaching potential clients. I built my business model and business strategy for this company, established different business partnerships with other players in space. But later, in 2017, I started being more interested in the digital asset space because it was a more organic transition from just traditional alternatives to digital assets. Because the thing is that investors, and especially institutional investors, are always seeking non-correlated asset classes with the purpose to efficiently diversify their investment portfolios. Typically, they invested in hedge funds to diversify their stock and bonds portfolios. But in a couple of years ago, hedge funds actually underperformed S&P 500. It was probably efficient correlation, but not in terms of uh, returns and overall portfolio efficiency. So I came across digital assets as a new asset class and started learning more about that and uh, immediately was fascinated about the potential value proposition of uh, this market. Currently, there are over 8,000 different digital assets available on the market, but I think only a few of them are worth investing. And Bitcoin is definitely the only one that has clear value proposition. Let me ask you this, Max. So for the listeners who may be familiar with Bitcoin, you know, most people have heard of Bitcoin, but some, they may not be super familiar about how it actually works. Can you explain to me in most simplistic terms as possible, like Mm -hmm. how does Bitcoin work? How do these cryptocurrencies actually hold value and what's the value proposition that you're referring to? It's a good question. I'll try to explain that really simple. So what's Bitcoin? I think that you can get different descriptions, definitions of the Bitcoin. My definition is that Bitcoin is a digital store of value and a disinflationary digital currency designed to facilitate financial transactions without a centralized intermediary and a government control. Basically, Bitcoin is a digital asset. It doesn't have any physical monetary value like gold or fiat currency. In reality, Bitcoin... Or is just a record on the Bitcoin blockchain that confirms Bitcoin ownership. And Bitcoin blockchain is a distributed ledger of timestamped Bitcoin transactions. What are unique characteristics of Bitcoin that make it attractive to investors? First of all, Bitcoin is a, I would say, new asset class. It's completely new asset class and it's rarely 
investors can find a new asset class. And I think that especially asset class that have such strong value proposition. Uh, speaking about Bitcoin unique characteristics, first of all, Bitcoin is decentralized. No one entity or person controls Bitcoin because the blockchain, Bitcoin blockchain is globally distributed. Second uh, characteristic of Bitcoin is that Bitcoin is censorship resistant. Governments can take over it, central banks can change it. Nobody has control over Bitcoin network. It's trustless. Nobody has to trust any, anybody else in order the Bitcoin network to function. So unlike in traditional finance system, you rely on banks when you send money overseas. In Bitcoin, you hold your Bitcoin in your wallet. You can send it to another person in any country in the world. You do not have to rely on any intermediaries. And the most important feature or characteristic of Bitcoin, at least for me, is its economic model. Bitcoin has limited supply. Currently, it's, uh, it has disinflationary model, but uh, in the future, it will become fully deflationary model. Bitcoin has fixed supply of 21 million Bitcoins. And as of today, around 18.5 million Bitcoins have already been reduced. That means that roughly 88% of the total supply was already issued to the market. Bitcoin supply decreases by half every four years. It was algorithmically predetermined uh, in the Bitcoin code and nobody can change it. And finally, comparing Bitcoin to the traditional financial system, the fast transaction settlement is what makes Bitcoin really unique. Uh, you can send Bitcoin immediately to another person and it will cost you much less than you would pay to banks. For example, just recently, in October this year, someone transferred Bitcoins worth roughly $1.1 billion. It was one transaction of over $1 billion and the transaction was settled in a couple of minutes and the person who sent this amount of Bitcoin paid only $3.58 as transaction wow. fee. Wow. And that's why still it's a very, it's the asset class in the nascent stage of its development. It's already 10 years on the market, but it definitely has unique characteristics and features that make it uh, attractive to, to investors. So how, I mean, how does that work? Let's just say today I'm like, okay, Max, I have $10,000 and I want to put it into a cryptocurrency like Bitcoin. How do I do that? And then how do I get my money out? Currently, actually, it's, uh, it's pretty much easier because there are several large regulated Bitcoin, not only Bitcoin, but digital asset exchanges in the United States. For example, Coinbase, the largest crypto exchange in the United States. The trading volume is over $1 billion every day. And they actually plan to, to go public. I think that the valuation can be as high as $30 billion if they go public. So you can open a trading account as an individual or as an institution. You will need to pass QIC process. And I think that um, it will take like a couple of days to open the account. And you will be able to immediately buy Bitcoin or any other digital asset using your either credit card or bank account. Another thing that you can uh, purchase Bitcoin even easier using, for example, PayPal. PayPal started offering digital asset trading for their customers and they have 350 million users all over the world or any other trading apps. 
uh, where actually onboarding process is even quicker and easier comparing to crypto exchange. And if you want to sell Bitcoin, you, you're doing pretty much the same. You, you go to your app or to the exchange, you just click button sell, and then you receive fiat currency to your uh, bank account. Gotcha. So let me ask you this. Cryptocurrencies, they've been highly scrutinized over the years. There's skeptics out there thinking that, hey, this is just you know a fad and you know it's going to come and go and people are going to lose a lot of money uh, by investing in cryptocurrencies. How do you respond to such skeptics when it comes to this type of market? Yes, uh, let me uh, answer to this question in more detail because I think it's very important, especially for people from traditional or conservative financial companies. Based on my experience, as I said, uh, I started being interested in digital assets in 2017. In 2018, I established and managed a crypto hedge fund, Black Square Capital, interacted with many potential investors in the United States such as investment advisory firms, family offices that never had digitalized exposure. And I had uh, lots of conversations with them explaining why actually uh, investing in digital space could add value to the investment strategy. Uh, speaking about Bitcoin, so I would say that I agree that it's highly, still highly speculative asset class. I can tell you that there are lots of market manipulations. That's why... SEC still has not approved the first Bitcoin ETF. The market is not uh, efficient, not super transparent. But at the same time, the market is growing year over year. We can see Bitcoin historical performance for the last 10 years. The market is not crashing. Bitcoin is not going to zero. Bitcoin actually is uh, appreciating value. The average annual return for Bitcoin for the last 10 years uh, was roughly 300%. You cannot say that it's a bubble or completely, complete speculation when you see such a strong historical performance. Another thing that's more important is that current Bitcoin market cap is, uh, as of today, is 400 $26 billion. So approximately 100 million people are using Bitcoin all over the world. It's a lot. And the number of users are growing. Why is that? What's the intrinsic value of Bitcoin? I would say the Bitcoin value is still based on the supply and demand, based on the network effect, and also it's called Lindy effect. Lindy effect says that the longer technology exists, the more valuable it is. The trend is showing that the market is growing, the user base is growing. And there is, I, I, I just, I do not see, at least like in the midterm, that Bitcoin market is crashing or going to, to zero for sure. Another thing that's worth mentioning is that uh, you can see what big institutions are doing. Those institutions are... They have smarter investment analytics. They understand all the potential risks and uh, rewards of uh, entering this industry. Such a, I'll give you such a few examples. A few years ago, only hedge funds and family offices invested in this space because they historically have high risk tolerance compared to traditional or conservative investors. As of today, uh, we see that large, even conservative investors in the United States already entered Bitcoin market. Just recently, insurance company Mass Mutual purchased 100 million of Bitcoin for their general investment account. Wow. It, was, it was a huge news because 
It's definitely a conservative investor. And mass mutual Bitcoin bet can encourage other companies with conservative investment profiles, such as insurance and pension funds to enter the market. Another big company, MicroStrategy, it's a publicly traded U.S. company. They invested $1.1 billion in Bitcoin. And it's not just crypto hedge funds. It's very well-recognized and publicly traded company. The biggest digital asset investment company in the United States, it's called Grayscale Trust. They are fully regulated and licensed. Currently, they have 13 billion of assets under management, mostly in Bitcoin. That means that I can go further. For example, uh, Fidelity. Fidelity Investments, they created a separate entity. It was last year. Uh, it's called Fidelity Digital Assets. I think they have a team of like almost 200 people. They created Bitcoin, Bitcoin custody solution and they are offering Bitcoin trading for the institutional client base. It was actually a wise decision because I see the growing appetite from institutional investors for Bitcoin. Finally, regulations are important. So if, if Bitcoin would be considered as a super speculative and risky investment, I think that it would be just prohibited from investing in the United States. This year, the U.S. Uh, Office of the Control of the Currency, or OCC Office, announced that U.S. banks are eligible and allowed to hold Bitcoin for their customers. SEC said that Bitcoin is not an investment, uh, not uh, an investment contract. That means that SEC restrictions for securities are not applicable to the Bitcoin market. So the combination combination of all these metrics and uh, statistics, uh, I think that's clearly explained that the market the market is growing. And just from the, I would say I, I'm not saying that everyone should invest in Bitcoin. Uh, as I said, it's, it's still speculative market and it's definitely risky investment. As an investor, you can take a pragmatic approach. So basically, you can just forget about Bitcoin value proposition, about this uh, quick settlement, uh, this decentralization, all other things. Just take the Bitcoin historical performance for the last 10 years and you can see how it can affect your investment portfolio. From the portfolio diversification perspective, so if you just allocate let's say 5% of your investing portfolio to Bitcoin, your overall portfolio performance would increase by uh, 500 base points. I'm saying about traditional global 60-40 investment portfolio when 60% portfolio allocated to stocks and 40% allocated to bonds. Gotcha. Uh, because the risk reward is too high, I mean that you potentially can lose your investment, but based on the historical performance and the potential to growth, you can receive uh, just a symmetric return that can positively affect the overall risk-adjusted returns of your portfolio. Hey, real quick, I hope you're enjoying this episode. If you're an entrepreneur or business leader and you want to take your game to the next level or you want to avoid being crushed out there during these uncertain times, be sure to check out our free masterclass called The Surprising Path to Excellence by visiting cultivar.com or through our Boosting Your Financial IQ app. I'll link this in the show notes as well. I'm also offering some freebies, so be sure to check it out. Now back to the show. So newcomers that are interested in diversifying their portfolio and maybe adding a type of crypto to their accounts, they can get into it by starting pretty small at first, like you're saying, you know, maybe they allocate a small portion, like 5%. 
in this type of strategy can help them get into the market, help them to remain diversified, and also you know maybe participate in some of the upside here. Is that what you're saying? Yes, absolutely. I think that, first of all, as I said, uh, if we're talking about Bitcoin or any other digital assets, it's a risky investment. Of course, you cannot uh, invest more than you are okay to lose. I actually created the Bitcoin robo-advisor service on the website of my company. It's completely free service. So anyone can check and calculate the optimal Bitcoin allocation based on the risk profile, investment goals, and uh, their network. I would say that if you have low or even medium risk tolerance, or if you have very short investment goals, if you want to preserve your capital, just do not invest in Bitcoin. It's too risky. But if you are, let's say, accredited investor, you have long-term investment horizon, and you have high risk tolerance, you, you can definitely uh, diversify your portfolio with Bitcoin. I would say that you can allocate as high as 20% of your portfolio to Bitcoin if you meet all these requirements. At the same time, I mean, for just for, for a retail investor, I mean, it all depends on, on your network, investment goals, but I would say like 1%, 2% of your portfolio allocated to Bitcoin. I think that it, it sounds reasonable to me. So let me ask you this, Max. Is the increase in demand and the growing interest in these cryptocurrencies, is this a, a result of a new exciting asset class where people think, wait, I can get in early on? You know, there's a, a huge potential, a huge upside. Or do you think the demand is coming from this mistrust among people in governments and banks and other institutions? Or is it a combination of both those things? What, what's creating this demand and this surge in cryptocurrencies? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Speaking about our current global macro environment, I think that actually what triggers Bitcoin value appreciation. Currently, Bitcoin is digital store of value. In, it, it's, it's not a digital currency because it's too volatile. But for me, it's a digital store of value that can hedge in inflation risks. And pandemic uh, caused substantial disruption of the global economy. Uh, central banks across the globe cut policy rates and they provide enormous liquidity to the market. In the US, current inflation rate is 1.2%. Federal, fund, federal funds rate 0.25, right? It was uh, 1.75% a year ago. And people in, in, in this economic environment, people are used to look for assets that can hedge their inflation risks. Historically, that was gold or, or just fiat currency. Actually, gold appreciated in value this year. That was expected, especially in the first quarters of 2020. The uh, investors either withdrew their capital from the stock market in the beginning of the year, switched to cash because cash is the king during the uh, economic recession. At the same time, people, and especially institutional investors, they started looking for another alternatives to preserve their capital during this economical, unstable environment. And that's where, actually, Bitcoin value proposition uh, becomes really helpful, because unlike fiat currency, Bitcoin has disinflation economic model. It's called digital gold. It has pretty much the same characteristics, but unlike gold, it has predetermined, algorithmically predetermined finite supply, and it's highly portable. 
So it makes actually it's better than gold uh, in terms of its characteristics. And yes, uh, supply and demand, actually, that's what drives uh, any, any asset uh, price on the market. Demand is increasing. Supply is decreasing because, as I said, Bitcoin production rate decreases by half every four years. And the last time the Bitcoin production was reduced by half, it was May 2020 this year. That means that starting May 2020, less Bitcoin become available on the market. At the same time, we see that there are large Bitcoin holders and they just, they do not sell their Bitcoin, they just hold. So there are currently actually not much Bitcoin available on the market. And that's why it's like, a, it's like musical chairs. People who believe in the, its value proposition can invest now, uh, relying on its, its uh, future value appreciation. And currently, especially during the pandemic economic crisis, I think it's uh, it's smart decision, and I think it's actually a good timing for the Bitcoin investment. No, that all makes sense, and that's great information. Let me switch gears here for a minute because I'm really curious. You know, here you are, very smart, capable person. You're very ambitious. You come from Russia to a whole new country, to the United States. You're married, you have two kids, and you start a business here in the United States. What's that process been like? How is it being an entrepreneur here? Do you find it challenging You know, coming from Russia with like language barriers or differences in law and all these other nuances in cultures? How is it running your own business here and, and what's that whole process been like? Yes, uh, it was a very interesting experience. Fortunately, um, I have very entrepreneur-wise mindset. Even in Moscow, I worked for fintech companies and uh, was open-minded, interested in new technologies. Always wanted to build my own product or financial solution. So when I graduated from Duke, Starting my own business, that was the idea that came to my mind. The startup business in the financial industry actually was my first choice. That's what I did back in 2016. I think that my legal background helped me a lot because I established my company on my own. I registered it with FINRA and later with SEC as an investment investor and my advisor. I was able to prepare all legal documents, all reporting and incorporation on our own. So I think for any, anyone who is trying to build new business in the US and who just moved from another country, I think education is really important, especially a combination of financial background, some like knowledge of business processes, business strategy, it, it, it adds value a lot. For me, it, it wasn't too difficult, I would say. The more important, uh, I think that is to find the unique niche where you can add value and to build something unique. That's what's important. Uh, still like all this legal or compliance nuance, it, it's still like most technical things, but it, it's important to see the big picture to be open-minded and to see what your customers would need. If you are working in the financial industry, are what financial products could be in demand, not now, but maybe like in the next like five, 10 years. That's what I'm looking for. And that's actually was the reason I started being interested in, in blockchain space because blockchain can definitely disrupt many industries. And I feel lucky to be involved in this space now because of huge potential of the this industry growth in the future 
Well, let me ask you this. I mean, what are you most excited about? You're running your business. It's probably a ton of work to get it off the ground. There's probably good days, bad days. You know, there's, there's a lot of stress, there's anxiety, there's also excitement. Like when you combine all this stuff and when you look into the future and where, you know, blockchain and cryptocurrencies and all these new um, digital asset classes are going, what gets you excited every day? And where do you see your future going here over the next decade? I would say it's really exciting to to work in this industry because like every morning then I read financial media, I see something new about what's happening in the digital asset space. Either it's the planned IPO of the Coinbase, the biggest US crypto exchange, or news that traditional or very conservative institutional investor allocates a substantial capital to digital asset space. Or just uh, if you come across any news about how, like, let's say, JP Morgan is applying blockchain technology to build their own digital currency. That actually really drives my interest to, to continue working in this industry. And for me, innovation is what's really important. I worked in traditional banking space for, for 10 years, and the banking industry could be considered boring or very conservative, but basically what banks do, they take deposits, they lend money, they do underwriting and offer some other financial services. But when you see how this industry or any other financial markets can be disrupted by the new technology, that's what makes you really interested to be actively involved in this space. I think that that's really important. Uh, it's, it's a very personal choice, I guess. Some people like just more like traditional business models, but for me, uh, it all always was fintech. And I currently, I have my own project. It's a new project. It's called DRC. We are trying to build a new digital asset that can help under bank population, especially in developing countries, to get easy exposure to the well-constructed basket or the store of value assets, such as gold, US dollar, and probably Bitcoin. I communicate with our people who are building this project every day and we have very thoughtful discussions. And when you, when you are creating new financial products, and especially uh, products that can help people at least to preserve their capital or to help them to hedge their inflation risks, especially in developing countries. That's what makes me really in, uh, really interested in continuing working in this space. Yeah, I agree. And, and I think there's tons of opportunity. And you know, that's what I admire about you is your um, willingness to get out there and try new things and be a pioneer in a brand new space. I think that's very cool and uh, very admirable about you. So great job with what you're doing. I, I really appreciate the conversation today, Max, because I think it's a topic in an area of interest for a lot of strategic financial leaders out there and just for individuals that are looking to be more progressive in their thinking in the area of finance, because I think the whole industry is changing. And I think these technologies are coming along that are absolutely going to disrupt a lot of different players and institutions and the industry abroad. So thank you for sharing your knowledge today and your wisdom. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Steve. It was a pleasure speaking with you today. Hey, thanks for tuning into the show. If there's any way I can be helpful to you and your business, or if you have feedback or ideas regarding this podcast, shoot me an email at contact at I would love to connect. All the best.